The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host from her home studio is Dr. Claudia McKella. Good morning, Claudia, and happy Mother's Day to you, your mom, your mother-in-law, and all of those around you. Thank you, Tina. Happy Mother's Day to you as well. It's going to be a different Mother's Day around this house this year. Uh, It's going to be very quiet. And uh, there are going to be no gifts. I, I advocated for no Mother's Day gift. It's the gift of spending time together this year. Yeah, haven't we done enough of that? I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But I'm trying to set an example for my children and, you know, you know, not worry about first world problems right now. It's just about managing and coping and just setting a tone for you know, good things to come. I think Mother Nature is sending us a bit of a message, though, this year. Kind of frosty for this weekend in early May, don't you think? Yeah, which means three more home-cooked meals of for both Saturday and Sunday. No barbecuing, that's for sure. Now, we're still in the midst of COVID-19, and while some may have that urge to ease up on the restrictions, the experts are telling us to sit tight. Yes, and there will be no better person than Dr. Sean Rice to talk to us a little bit about that. Our next guest to join us today, Dr. Sean Rice. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? Good, good. My pleasure being here. How are you? We're all great. We're all coping and managing, and we hope you are too. Oh, yeah, I'm doing fine. (laughs) That's good to hear. And so for listeners, tell us where you have been on the front lines. At which hospital have you been working the front lines? I've been at uh, North York General here in Toronto. And how has it been there over the last six or seven weeks um, in your experience? What have you seen? What has the ICU been like? You know, it's been it's been um, a different experience, let's say. You know, I was there during SARS. I ran a ward for SARS. I was, you know, quarantined for 62 days, basically every day straight in hospital. But this has been a bit of a different experience. This started off slow, got to a point where it was like, oh, my God, everything's going to hit the fan, so to speak. And then it sort of died back out again. So it's been it's been actually pretty manageable through the whole ordeal. Well, that's good to hear. Um, and what do you feel is the next step? Like, how do you feel about the city starting to ease up restrictions? Well, that's a great loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's at some point in time, we, we, we have to realize that this is a coronavirus. This is going to be with us for a long time to come. I mean, there's lots of viruses. Think of HIV and stuff like that, that we never came up with a vaccine for. And you just have to sort of learn to live with it. This potentially could be one of those. I think that, you know, the economy obviously has to get back to going and people can't stay locked up forever. I think uh, as we slowly get back to life like normal and, and, you know, you social distance and things like that, I I think the system would be able to cope with it. So do you feel like we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? I think so. I think we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, not necessarily that we've got the coronavirus under control, but now that the, the sort of the spring and the summertime is coming, you know, when you're outside, the virus just spreads and you're less likely. It's not that it's gone away magically. It's just you're less likely to get, you know, contract the virus. Um, and then as the fall starts to come and we get back to sort of tighter areas, um, you know, that's going to be the real sort of a test. So I think the light at the end of the tunnel is coming. But I mean, there is a possibility it can come back again. But I think the healthcare system can deal with that sort of second wave 
And that's good to know because I feel like that's what people are now, like from the feedback I'm getting and talking to people, they're feeling trapped. They want to be outside and doing the things that they were doing before, but they also have this like pending anxiety and fear that the second wave is going to be worse and is going to cause more problems and more people out of work. Um, do you feel the second wave will be worse or do you feel like it'll kind of show up as it did this time around? You know, I, I think the whole psychological thing behind this virus is absolutely, to me, totally fascinating. You know, during SARS, I was in the complete lockdown and the rest of the world went about their normal life and it was a completely different thing. Now that everybody is sort of locked down, I, you know, just the anxiety amongst people is phenomenal and the fear is crazy. You know, even even my own family sometimes, like at least in the beginning, it's like, oh my God, you're upstairs and don't touch this. And why are you doing that? And why are you doing this? And it's like, uh, I think as we sort of come to understand what the virus is and, and hopefully those fears start to go away and reality sort of sinks in. Dr. Rice, can you share your experience then with us? Describe your work environment for us. Yeah, I would say in the Let's say in the beginning of the whole pandemic, it was kind of like, oh, oh my God, like nobody really knew what was going on. And certainly, you know, I've been through it before, so I'm, I was on a bit of a different playing field. To me, it's just another day at work, so to speak. Um, whereas, let's say in the very beginning of the hospital, what happened was things got shut down very rapidly. And people got deployed to certain areas of the hospital that they just weren't used to being deployed to. So say the operating room nurses were sent because they're used to working with ventilators and stuff like that. They got sent to the floors or they got sent to the ICU. And I, I think just being sent in a very stressful time to a different unit really played a number on a lot of people and put a lot of tension with inside the hospital. And, you know, the PE thing is quite interesting because I can tell you, it totally freaked me out about two weeks ago when I went to leave the hospital. We have to put a mask on when we walk around and went to leave the hospital. I take the mask off and security stopped me and says, you got to throw the mask into a bin because now we have to reuse that. And I'm thinking, oh my God, if that was my office three weeks ago, the government would have shut me down and says, it's completely unacceptable that you do that. And now all of a sudden we're saving masks. Um, so that's a bit of an issue, but I, I think the PPE is kind of under control. You know, if I want a new N95, I have to call security and get security to unlock a room and give me a mask. And I go, oh my God, like, are we living in a third world country? It's crazy. But I think the PPE is, is come under control now. Uh, and hopefully there's enough stockpile for the sort of second wave. And so what's your recommendation? Like after all this, so now we've already started to see that the city will lift a few restrictions. Do you feel it's important for people to continue to wear masks and possibly gloves? Or do you think that we should start restricting and lifting that as well? You know, I think the interesting thing about a mask is, um, and, and I think it was Governor Cuomo sort of said this, you know, you wearing a mask is respecting me. And I think people have to realize that it's not, the mask is not necessarily protecting me from you. It's protecting, you know, you from me, so to speak. So if I'm out in public, if I'm gone to the, you know, whatever Home Depot, the liquor store or something like that, I will, uh, I'll put on a mask because I'm out in public. If I'm driving around, I don't wear one. Um, but interesting, you know, my wife and I were driving somewhere just like a very short time and she was sitting in the back seat and I had to put a mask on. She had a mask on. So there is that sort of tension that goes on. Um, but I, I think, um, 
you know, I think if you're if you're smart, just be smart about things, right? You know, don't have a party with 100 people in your house. You know, you're going to the cottage, social distance. And, and I know the cottage is a big to-do for people. And it certainly is for our family. I mean, we've gone for 30 years. The kids have grown up at the cottage, right? And uh, so, you know, that's a, a totally different topic on its own. But I think if you're smart, just be smart. And don't get caught up in, in tight situations. And, and people will be just fine. You know, there were things that we learned from SARS and there will be things that we learn from this pandemic. What do we need to know before that second wave hits? I think you need to be aware that it, there is a potential that it can hit, but don't be fearful if it hits, right? Like to me, I, the, the biggest thing I've always told my kids their entire life is don't panic. And this is something that you sort of learn as a surgeon. I've been a pilot for years before medical school and stuff. So just don't panic in situations right? And you can't, if you're in the middle of an operation and you start to panic and you can't think, that's the absolute worst thing that can happen, right? So you, you have to realize that, yeah, probably a second wave is going to come. We know that the greatest hit of the first wave has really been nursing homes. So let's be smart. Let's isolate the nursing homes. Let's isolate the elder. Not that you have to avoid them, but just make sure that they're taken care of. That takes care of probably 90% of the whole pandemic if we can get rid of that. The 10% we can certainly deal with in the medical healthcare system. It's not going away. Just know that let's be prepared for that second wave and let's treat it in a smart fashion. And I think we'll do just fine. That is amazing advice. Um, and for listeners, they you have been doing some really amazing like uh, social media posts, answering questions from viewers and from listeners. If listeners want to read and uh, all your information, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, I've been doing these sort of cheesy posts on Instagram uh, with my long hair looking like a hippie. So uh, it's um, uh, Rice Cosmetic Surgery. I And you know what? My daughter's going to kill me if I even forget my own Instagram. But it, it's uh, I'm pretty sure it's Rice Cosmetic Surgery or Dr. Sean Rice. You can find me either way. They're kind of cheesy posts, but people have been asking me stuff and I've been trying to answer questions about it. And they're not cheesy at all. They're actually really informative and people are loving it. So uh, I think you should keep them coming. Oh, good. Awesome. I'll, I'll try to do that then for sure. Coming up next, a story from inside the COVID-19 ward. This is The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 105.9 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. Brothers Butcher Shop specializes in organic, 100% grass-fed meat raised without the use of growth hormones or antibiotics. We offer a full range of mouth-watering proteins responsibly grown and carefully repaired to give your family the very best. We are open for walk-in traffic from Tuesday to Sunday, noon to 5 p.m. If you prefer, you can always go online to order for curbside pickup or delivery at brothersbutchershop.com. Check out everything we offer and meet our local farmers at brothersbutchershop.com or call us at 905-881-3456. At Trattoria La Valletta, we have new hours, Monday to Friday from 11 to 3 p.m. and Saturday from 4 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Order food for curbside pickup or use your favorite delivery service. Let us serve you traditionally prepared and unforgettable Italian food at your own dining table today. Go to TrattoriaLaValletta.com to see our full menu and to order today. We offer a 15% discount on pickup. Healthy, satisfying, unforgettable. Trattoria La Valletta. 
Spring is in the air, so now is the time to add color in your world with Color Trends Paint and Decor Center. We have all your favorite paints and stains with curbside pickup available. We are located at 8000 Highway 27 and 7. Call us at 905-851-5570 or visit us at colortrends.com. Thank you for supporting small businesses like Color Trends Paint and Decor Center. Stay safe and we'll get through this together. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. I'm Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Dr. Claudia McKilla. Thank you, Tina. Our next guest today spent two days inside the COVID-19 ward. Tom Jokic is here to tell us his story, and welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks, Dr. Claudia, and thanks, Tina. It's so lovely to have you here, and we're actually really looking forward to hearing about your experience at the uh, Lake Ridge Health Oshawa Hospital. Um, I understand it was rather a positive experience, but could you give us a little bit of background about what brought you there? Yes, I mean, as positive as as the experience uh, turned out to be, it was definitely not somewhere I wanted to be. And what happened is I checked into Port Perry, Lake Ridge, um, with uh, symptoms that I expected were more along the lines of pneumonia. Now, I had had pneumonia in January, and then I had what I thought was pneumonia symptoms in uh, April as well. And so that's when I went to Port Perry. They checked it out. They ran uh, x-rays, and they said, well, yeah, it could be pneumonia, but it also could be COVID because you have because some of the symptoms kind of align. And they said, so we are going to send you to uh, the Oshawa Lake Ridge uh, COVID-19 unit. And I said, well, I don't think you are. Like, I got it. You know, it was a fairly animated discussion about the wisdom of that decision to send me there because I was fairly certain that I did not have COVID. But, um, but they believed that as a matter of public health and a matter of safety for myself, uh, because if, in fact, I did have COVID-19, my distress would kind of manifest itself in a big hurry. And, um, and it would be like the, 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 what do they call it? Like not the disintegration, but the deterioration would be incredibly quick. And so with me, with my, uh, uh, with my history, with my asthma and all that stuff, it could be quite threatening to, to my life. So they decided to send me there. And after I kind of uh, accepted my fate, uh, they put me uh, on a stretcher, put me in an ambulance and uh, drove me over to, uh, to the Oshawa uh, uh, Lake Ridge Hospital COVID-19 unit. And Tom, can I ask you, I think you, you touched on this a little bit, but they sent you to another hospital and wanted to admit you because of your health history. Because normally, if they are suspecting COVID-19, they would say, okay, go home and self-isolate. The difference for you was your health history. Is that right? Well, I, I honestly I can't quite answer that with any precision. I just think that they thought that because um, I was exhibiting symptoms that they thought might be COVID-19, that it would be best for me to be in that lockdown unit, right? Um, I was very willing to to go home, um, um, but I think because, I think you're right. I think because of my health and because of my asthma, and also I don't have a spleen, so I should probably preface everything with uh, with that. I had surgery last year due to a, a cancer situation and so there's, they, they took out a whole number of things. And, and so with that in mind, I think that my ability to fight something, I have a lower immune system, my ability to fight something like that would have been um, even less than the average person. And although I'm relatively fit and healthy, 
um, it's still something that could have really taken me down hard. So after this, they made this decision. You ended up in the ambulance, brought over to the next hospital. Tell us yes. about your experience there, because I think listeners want to know what it's like to have to be in a lockdown unit. Well, I do know that you know there's a whole bunch of things that go through your head when you're being wheeled into a COVID unit at a hospital, and what you expect to see, and what I ended up seeing was was vastly different. So. You know, I was pretty wide-eyed and a little bit worried, and I had my, you know, I had my mask on, and I'm, I'm in the stretcher, and, you know, you're in a vulnerable position in that position at the best of times. But, you, you know, I was wheeled in, and I noticed that everybody in the COVID unit in the kind of the, not the reception area, but at the nurse's station, was, was very relaxed, pretty chill, and they were just talking to each other, and they... They kind of looked up to see, you know, who, who the new kid was, and then I was wheeled into my, and then I was wheeled into my room. Now the room itself is pretty interesting because it was a pretty large room and it had one bed in it, so I was isolated in terms of the number of beds in a room. Because normally when you get in, you know, when you go to a hospital, you're in a semi-private room. So I was by myself, and then there was a room in between the hallway and my room. So there was like an ante room that separated me from the hallway. And that room, the way, by my understanding, that's the room where they changed into their PPE. So they would come in from the hallway, they'd go into the ante room, they'd change in their personal protective equipment, then they would come in and see me, and then when they turned around and left, they would change out of the PPE and into the hallway. So whatever was in the hallway wasn't coming into to wasn't coming into my room and whatever was in my room was not going into the hallway. So I found that after a while, when I realized kind of how kind of dedicated they were to that protocol, I was pretty impressed and it kind of helped me to calm down. And they even told me when I came in, they, the, the nurse actually took my mask off me and said, you won't need this. And I said, I, I want that, you know, I, I need my mask. And they said, no, you don't, you're safe in here. And, and of course, you know, the very fact is that shortly before I arrived, I don't know if it was an hour or a day or a week, there was a person in that room with COVID-19. So, so that in itself is kind of a sobering thought. But the longer I stayed in there, the re- uh, and the more I talked to uh, the nurses and, and doctors, who I'll talk about a little bit more in a second, the more I realized that they really do care about keeping the place clean and keeping the patient protected. Now, when I talk about the nurses and doctors, there's only one nurse in a 12-hour period, and there's only one doctor. Normally in a hospital room, you get a number of visitors at various times, including doctors with their residences, their, their interns or, or whatever, and perhaps more than one nurse um, coming to answer when you call. But in this case, there's only one doctor, only one nurse in a 12-hour period, then they switch shifts, and then it's another doctor and another nurse. And, and so you are very limited by the contact that you have and also they protect themselves by limiting the contact to a potential COVID-19 patient. And yeah, so, so that in itself was very, was very uh, interesting. And the, and the nurses were like just fantastic that I had. I had three nurses over that, over the 48 hours. I guess I must have four cause I was there for 48 hours, but, um, um, and, but you know, I know them by name and there was a, a couple of doctors that I got to know a little bit and there were, and everybody was was really great. And knowing 
about about a day into the into the stay, I talked to one of the nurses, and her name was Barbara Ann. And I said to her after I was like very settled in, and also I was very confident that I was going to be getting out soon because I believed that I was going to be tested negative on my COVID swab. I said to her, "What, what, what was it like here? What's it been like here over the last few weeks?" And she said, "At the beginning, it was horrific. It was awful. My patients were dying on me every day, and you could tell that she took it. Very, she really took it to heart, and it was heartbreaking to her that all." the death that she had seen at the very beginning of this crisis. And, and um, it really, it still resonated with her, but it's funny because by then I'd known her for about 24 hours and she was one of the most upbeat and professional people I had ever met. And only in that moment when I asked her specifically how it had been for her, did her, you know, did she let her guard down? And I, and I was kind of appreciative that she was, able to share that with me and talk to me about that in that way. And she was just lovely. And you could tell that she takes her job incredibly seriously. And, um, and then the other thing she said is, at first, we were packed in here, right? It was very, very busy. And now, she said, we have 20 beds and, and only seven of them are taken. So that was a valuable lesson in itself to the power of us as a society, you know, doing the uh, exercising our social distancing and observing, you know, our role in flattening the curve. And because we were doing that, I was able to get a hospital bed in a COVID unit during a pandemic um, in, in a half an hour's in, in with half hour notice from Lake Ridge to Port, uh, from Port Perry to Oshawa. So then let's take us back during your 48 hour stay in the COVID ward, what tests did you undergo? How did they determine that you did or did not have COVID-19? Well, the original tests, Tina, were, um, were like chest x-rays, blood tests, and, um, and a COVID-19 swab. And so the nasal swab, the nasal swab is a delight. And I'm being very sarcastic when I say that because it is, it is really, really something. Uh, they, they put it, they, they insert it into your nose and, and honestly, in reality, it lasts about 10 seconds. And it's only for about three seconds of that where you're going, okay, this has to stop immediately, right? But it really is just very, it's very uncomfortable. It's not really painful. It's just one of the weirdest sensations that you'd, you'd ever experience. And so when that was done, they said, this will take somewhere between 12 and 72 hours. And so, of course, my fear was that I was, because they were sending me the COVID-19 unit, my fear was that I was going to be in the unit for three days waiting for the response. When I got to the COVID-19 unit, they said, no, no, it'll be 24 hours tops for the, for the uh, positive or negative COVID-19 um, uh, test results. And so, and it's funny because it was almost 24 hours to the minute when I finally found out. And while I was... 90% certain that I did not have COVID. When they walked in with the results, or when, when, my one, when the doctor walked in with the results, my heart leapt, not knowing what they were going to say. It was the one time I was kind of emotional and nervous. And he said, hey, it's negative. And I went, that's fantastic. Now, I was obviously very thrilled. One of the things they do is when you get a COVID-19 negative result, they usually give you a second one. But my doctor looked at me and had known me at that point for, you know, a good 24 hours and said, 
we're we're not going to give you a second swab. We do we do not think it's um, it's uh, completely necessary. Um, we um, sorry, we're not going to give you a second COVID swab. We 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 firmly believe that the the negative result is accurate because of the way that you are in terms of how you're feeling and and uh, the other symptoms that you're that you're displaying and not displaying. And so we are going to send you home. There was a little bit of a hiccup in that my fever spiked that night, and so they decided to keep me for uh, overnight. Um, but but within an hour, my fever was ba- was back down to normal. Um, but I did stay for an extra, I would say, a good, you know, almost um, 20, 18, 20 hours longer um, because because of the fever and the worry from that. But then I was home uh, by the next uh, late afternoon, and I've been feeling fairly uh, pretty good ever since. So, Tom, you know, this is incredible, and thank God you did have a negative um, test result. But in all this, you were by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have kids and you have a partner, Renee. How, yes. Like, how was this, how were they able to communicate with you, and were they able to communicate with you? Well, you know, um, thank God for, uh, for modern technology. And, you know, Renee was very, obviously, very worried about me and very upset that she couldn't be with me. And um, it was a very emotional time for her here at home by herself. And she was quite worried, but the thing that, that helped um, bring, the thing that instilled more confidence in her and made her feel better about the whole situation is when we FaceTimed later on the first evening. And I was in pretty good spirits, and I told her the situation. And by then, I think she realized that I was in good hands, and also I, was, I looked fine and I I was myself and I was joking around with her and you know we were making you know silly comments the way we normally do with each other and so we were kind of having a great time on the phone despite the fact that you know I didn't know what my future was going to be like what if this is true you know did the you know did the hug that I gave her the day before the day I left was that was that the last hug I would ever give her like I got to be honest I thought those things but I also know that um, I've been through a lot of medical issues in the last year that I wasn't going to let myself kind of be taken down by the prospect of what could happen. Um, uh, and I was actually fairly, fairly strong during this whole thing, whereas there, sometimes throughout this past year I haven't been quite as strong. But it was important for us to keep in touch. And we chatted and we, had a, we honestly had great chats and we would talk two or three times on the phone and we would probably uh, FaceTime each other once or twice a day as well. And then with my sons, who both, uh, lived, uh, down, who both lived downtown Toronto um, in, in separate places, so I would just call them and we would chat. And, and uh, you know, if I, if I felt, if, you know, if I'd had my shower and, my, and I looked okay, I would FaceTime with them. And, um, but, um, but, yeah, we, you know, technology allowed me to be in touch with people and, um, and I wasn't bored because there was a, a few things that I had to uh, manage either by phone or by email or whatever while I was there. Um, including some questions about um, um, other health issues that I had to deal with while I was at the hospital um, with pot- uh, potentially being a COVID-19 patient. So, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of amazing points. So frontline workers really deserve a huge congratulations. And being in touch with our family during this time is really important. And yes. we thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. 
So if our listeners want to read your story or read about what happened to you and your experience, Tom, how can they do that? Well, I did write something on Facebook a few weeks ago that really kind of took off. It was surprising. Um, and when I was in the unit, I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, this is really interesting. Like just from a person who's an observer, who likes to observe things, this experience is quite interesting. So <laughs> if, I, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to tell people about what it was really like here. And so I did something, I, I just did a post on Facebook explaining my situation. And there's a picture of me in the bed that I, uh, uh, you know, a selfie from my bed and me describing the situation much as I have to you. So I'm on Facebook. It's Tom Jokic, J-O-K-I-C, Tom Jokic on Facebook. And you will see, uh, uh, you know, what, what, I, what my experience was in terms of, uh, of how I described it, um, you know, essentially from my hospital bed because I kind of wrote it while I, was, while I was there and then I posted it after I got out and was safe. All right. Tom, thank you so, so much. I hope you keep well and I hope you stay well. And, um, yeah, thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks. You know, uh, Dr. Claudia, and I, you know, I know what a professional you are, uh, and I appreciate, um, you know, the role that you've played in, uh, in, in my health and my well-being over the, over the years, even though I don't see you very much anymore. And, uh, Tina, what a pleasure it is to talk to you. I love the radio station, and uh, I'm glad I could be part of it. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Tom. And Dr. Claudia, please remind our listeners how to follow you. You can find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Machiella or at my website, www.thecenterforhealth.ca. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the Wellness Prescription, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Twitter at 1059theregion or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 1059 The Region.